Amen. Thank you so much, Marcus. Aren't you glad there are truths we can stand on? That they are certain and secure and eternal. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a powerful message. Thank you to our orchestra and our instrumentalists, to Brother Ben as well. If you would turn with me, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2. 2 Timothy, chapter 2. This morning, I want to continue talking about being a vessel of honor. And I hope that this will help us as we also have a Sunday school class that is devoted to peacemaking among believers. I think there are some lessons that we can learn from this passage that go hand in hand with that study. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 22 through 23. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Let's pray. Father, as we go through this passage, we truly desire to be vessels of honor for you. We desire to be pure and clean and usable for your service. But we also understand that this cannot happen without your power. So I pray that you would give your people a holy desire to be pure and an understanding that we need to rely upon you if this is going to happen. And I pray that your spirit would teach and illuminate us in this passage today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Most people, especially if you're a parent, have heard of the five-second rule. That is, if food spends just a few seconds on the floor, dirt and germs will not have enough time to contaminate it. Now, parents sometimes apply this rule to pacifiers. And that's especially after the first child. Um, in fact, you can always tell a new parent, and you can usually tell the first child, because they're very, very careful, and they steam clean it and, you know, run it through a, a, a fire or whatever. Uh, but then when the next kids come along, oh, well, you know, just, just let it go. You know, they'll be fine. Well, the history of the five-second rule is difficult to trace. One legend attributes the rule to Genghis Khan, who declared that food could be on the ground for five hours and still be safe to eat. Well, as usual, they've done studies on these types of things, and who knows how many millions they've spent on it. But there was a 2016 experiment that permanently debunked the five-second rule, at least according to the ones who did it. Professor Donald Schaffner, a food microbiologist at Rutgers University, reported that a two-year study concluded that no matter how fast you pick up food that falls on the floor, you are going to pick up bacteria with it. And so they experimented. They dropped all kinds of food on the floor. 
a total of 2,560 drops. And they found that no fallen food escaped contamination. So Professor Schaffner concluded, bacteria can contaminate instantly, instantaneously, thereby debunking the legendary five-second rule. So I'm sorry to disappoint anyone who was counting on that. But here's the point that I want to make to you today, and that is spiritually, we are in a constant battle against spiritual contamination. It is all around us in this world. It is also within us, because even after we have accepted Christ as Savior, we still have a sin nature. We are touched in every part of our being by sin. We're in a constant war against contamination, all of us. Now, at the same time, I believe that a true child of God, someone who is genuinely born again, desires to be a vessel of honor for the Lord. I believe that is a desire that God puts into our heart at the time of salvation. So a person who has no desire for holiness, no desire for purity, I don't believe that that person can have any assurance of salvation. I believe that if you are in Christ, as the Bible says, that you are a new creation. And it's not just because I believe it, it's because the Bible says it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Along with that comes a desire for purity and holiness. There's a desire to be a vessel of honor for the Lord. So this morning, I want to talk about how do we do this. And I want to continue this, Lord willing, next week as we go through these little paragraphs here. And basically what Paul is doing is giving a set of imperatives or commands to Timothy. And that's what we've been doing as we've gone throughout this chapter. And sometimes Paul will give imperatives and then he will stop and he'll give an illustration. We talked about the illustration he gave last week of a great house. And in any great house, that is, especially if you were to go to a wealthy home, you find all kinds of vessels. You have fine china. If people are especially wealthy, you may even find things that are made of silver or gold or precious stone. But then you also find clay containers, ceramic containers, trash cans. So there are all kinds of vessels. And in the professing church, there are all kinds of people who make profession, and yet they are not vessels of honor. Then there are some who are vessels of honor. And for every genuine believer, it ought to be our desire to be that vessel of honor. So how do we do this? Well, let's look at verses 22 and 23. First of all, number one, flee from wrong desires. The Bible says in verse 22, flee also youthful lusts. Now, Paul has used this formula before. He'll say, Flee from one thing and then follow after another. 
That is what you will always find in the Christian life. There is a positive and there's a negative. There are things that we need to avoid. There are other things that we need to cling to. This is why we need the grace of God in our lives, because it starts with our attitudes. It starts with our heart. We find this, uh, for instance, in the book of 1 Timothy, which we covered not long ago. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And as we went through the book of 1 Timothy, we talked about the importance of godliness. And we talked about the importance of these other virtues, righteousness and faith and love, patience and meekness. So Paul has used this formula before. Now he's using it in this verse. But what does he mean by youthful lusts? Well, we could say this. The evil desires of youth, the headstrong passions of youth. Paul almost always uses this Greek word translated lusts to describe negative behaviors or impulses. Now, this verse could certainly apply to illicit sexual desires, and that's how we often hear this verse applied. But I don't believe that's the primary meaning here. Now, don't misunderstand me. It is vitally important that we flee from illicit sexual desires, from inordinate desires of any kind. But you see, in the context of this passage, it's talking about particular passions. One commentator says that Paul has in mind the inordinate desire, the passion for controversy. That's what he's talking about here in the context. That feeling inside of us that relishes a fight, that loves to be proved right and even prophetic. There is something about us, especially in our youthful immaturity, that lusts or desires to raise protests and to set the world right and to make sure everyone cares as passionately as I do, as if no one else doesn't. But we think that sometimes when we're young. We think we're the only one who cares about certain things. Because I am on the side of right. I am always right. It's always the other person who needs setting straight. I am the defender of the downtrodden. And of course, we start to list our, our, you know, we start to list our accomplishments. And whatever our accomplishments are, but we base our right opinion on that. I, I get it more than other people. So therefore, everyone should listen to me. It is that desire for controversy, for always being right. And it results in strife and division. It is a mindset that involves impatience 
impatience. This is another thing that is associated with youth. Not only do I disagree with you, but I demand that you cave in to my opinion right now. No delay. The situation must be changed right now. There's no time for people to think about it or to adjust or to really evaluate whether this is a good thing. You see, I think this is right, and this is what we need to do now, and everything needs to change immediately. That is a characteristic of youth, youthful immaturity. This is, a, this is a mindset that includes harshness because we do feel right, that we're always right. So therefore, we always feel justified to do whatever we have to to make sure that our opinion carries the day. It includes contentiousness. Don't we see this on social media these days? where people argue and fight back and forth. And when all is said and done, you don't know if if there's really any good that has been done by it. It is a mindset that is especially prominent when you're young. Now let me say this, I am not being down on the younger generation. First of all, because all of us go through this period in our lives. But here's the second reason. This is where all of us need to take notice. Although it is one of the traits of youthfulness, we never really outgrow it. Did you get that? So there may be some of you thinking here today, ah, yeah, this is for the millennials. Go get them. For Generation Z. Friends, this is for all of us. Because I was like this when I was young. Now, maybe you weren't, but I was. I was like this when I was younger. I was always right, and no one could tell me anything. It was the most amazing thing that at 18 years old, at at 22 years old, I knew everything about life. Dad and mom couldn't tell me a thing. Now, not everybody is like that at that age. There are young people who are very, very wise beyond their years. But I'll have to confess, I was like that. I thought that I knew everything. And I could be very contentious. I could be very self-righteous in my anger. How dare someone disagree with me? Because this is the way I see it. And again, you start to throw your credentials around. You know, I've, I've studied, I've been to school, or I've been to trade school, or whatever the case in your background, because we're all different, we all have different backgrounds, but all of us have these credentials that we have and that we like to fall back on. But let me say this, I'm 51 years old. Now, to some people that's young, and to some it's old, so... I guess it depends on who you ask. I still like to be right. And God help me, but there are still times when I resist anyone telling me that I'm wrong. I still like to be right. You see, it's something that I haven't outgrown. I don't think that any of us outgrow it. 
Now, Paul is talking to a young pastor here, but he was probably in his maybe mid-40s at the time. But this is not just for pastors, and it's not just for the young, and it's not just for the old. It's for all of us. One of the things that you have to do when you come to a service, and it's, it's something that I do when I, when I come to my study of God's Word. Instead of thinking of the other person, I say, Lord, what do you have to teach me, me, through this passage? It's not about getting a dig in at the other guy sitting across the aisle. If that's, if that's your attitude, you're not going to learn very much. And friends, it doesn't matter if you're 8 or if you're 80. The Word of God convicts, it admonishes all of us. And there's never a time when we stop learning until we get to glory. All of us need to know these things. So Paul says very, very simply, flee from this. There's a commitment that you have to make here that you're not going to indulge this desire and this passion for controversy, for always being willing to get into a fight with others, for always being right, and never even wanting to consider that you might be wrong. Maybe there's a way that you're coming across that is wrong. How could you ever learn if you already know everything? And listen, if you do know everything, that means you're God. And that's impossible. I have so much to learn in this life, and all of us do. And from the very beginning, we have to have this mindset that we're not going to let this passion for controversy lead us down the wrong road. Here's number two. We flee one thing, and then we follow another. And here is what we follow. Follow after Christian virtues. I'm going to talk about what each one of these are. But what I want to focus on first, though, is that we do this with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. You see that in verse 22? Follow after righteousness, faith, charity, or love, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What does that mean to call upon the Lord? Well, it means those who have confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're talking about believers. If there is one here today who is not called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, my friend, I beg you to do that today. You see, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus existed a long time ago. There are a lot of people who believe that. And the Bible says that the demons believe and tremble. They know there's a God. And they know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But as Brother Mark is saying just a little while ago, when we say we believe, if you listen carefully to the words of that song, it is a confession of faith. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he was no mere man. Yes, he was fully man, but he was fully God. And he is the only Savior of men and women. He is the only Savior that you can call upon. 
for salvation. So we do this as believers. Have you done that today? Do each of you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you have confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior? That is step one. That is what it really means to have a fear of the Lord, to realize I am a sinner. And no amount of religious tradition can save me. No amount of religious ritual or good works. But I must trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Have you done that? Now, I can't do it for you. It's the Holy Spirit who convicts the heart. It's the Holy Spirit who brings that truth to bear upon you. And I pray that that happens today. And if he convicts you, don't put it off any longer. Then you call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. There is the reference to purity once again. God wants pure, honorable vessels. One commentator has referred to these virtues as cleansing agents. So you can think about your cabinet at home. You have several different things that you use to clean with. and They've got all kinds of things today. But whether it's brushes or sponges, sponges or detergents, or whatever it is. Think of these as spiritual cleansing agents. These are virtues that we are to pursue, and they're very, very similar to the fruit of the Spirit, to the fruit of righteousness that we find throughout Scripture. Righteousness, what do we mean by that? Well, it means we stop living by our own rules and instead follow God's standard of integrity in our dealing with others. We go by what the Word of God says. That is true righteousness. It means to deal with other people in an upright manner. Again, the entire context is how we deal with one another, how we deal with false teachers even, but how we deal with controversy. Here's the next one, faith. Faith means renouncing self-sufficiency. It means learning to believe God's Word. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the Lord of glory. This Bible is the Word of God. It is the truth. You must put your faith in it. We put our trust in Him. What does love mean? Well, it means that we set aside our selfishness. and That is our default setting, if you will. We always think of self first, but instead we seek the highest good of other people. Is that something that you pursue in your life? Love God, love others. God always comes first in the list. Peace. Peace means that we renounce the right to get even. And instead, we pursue fellowship with others. We can't sacrifice the truth of Scripture. That's the one caveat I would add to this. But as much as lieth within us, we pursue peace with all men. Pursue fellowship with those in the body of Christ. And I believe that to do that, you have to rest in the friendship that you have with God. Are you at peace with God? 
And that's the first question. That is the most profound type of peace that you can have. And you need that. Do you have peace with God? And we can only have that through the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the one who satisfied God by his sacrifice on the cross. He took the wrath of God upon himself that we deserved. We are no longer under God's wrath. But we are also, and here's the positive aspect, we are at peace with him. We are to fellowship with him. And what I find is this, when you have peace with God and you have the peace of God, then you're able to fellowship with others. So many times the reason why we're not able to get along with other people is because we are not right with God. And the two must go hand in hand. These virtues are evident when the Spirit of God controls our lives. So yes, it is something that we desire and pursue, but we need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16, Paul says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. Some of you may know what I'm going to say next. And ye shall not fulfill the what? Lust of the flesh. Now, that's a general term there. Lust could mean any kind of illicit desires, but I think that it applies in this passage. Walking in the Spirit, being under His control, is the way that we avoid those divisive passions. Let me go back to what I said in the beginning. We are not meant to walk the path of godliness alone. And this is where verse 22 comes in once again. We, we follow these things with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. In other words, those who are true believers, who have called upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, whose lives are marked by the reality of God's cleansing power. Let me put in a plug here for the local church. This is why we come to church. To be with one another, to fellowship with one another, to edify one another. And sometimes our mindset is, is all wrong. Because one of the first things we think about is, are my needs getting met? And friend, that is important. If you go to a, a good Bible-believing Church, your needs will be met as you fellowship with God's people. But how about this? How am I meeting the needs of others? And is God binding me together with them by His Holy Spirit? This is why we gather as a body. And this is why we, we want to gather in person I know there are some of our homebound who can't do that. But you know, this is, this is something that they want to do, and I've spoken to, to many of them. They desire to be here. It's good to have Brother Sherwood Cotton with us, by the way. You see, he desires to be here. And we as God's people ought to have that desire. And you know, not everyone can be because of their health. There may come a time when we're not able to do this. Maybe then we'll appreciate it a lot more. 
But friends, we take this for granted. We really do. And sometimes we think of church as a drudgery, as, as a duty, and that's it. We don't look at it as a desire. And I can't put that within anyone. And it puts a lot of pressure on pastors and churches because they think they've got to do circuses and rodeos and, and all these other things. And really what it gets down to is, do you love God and do you love His people? And when there is true revival, people are not going to have to conjole you to go to church. I hope you know where I'm coming from with this. I really do. I, I say this out of love and kindness because here's my point. We need you. We need you. We need each other. And God wants you to be here. And it leaves a hole when you're not here. It leaves a space. And as we come together as God's people and as we love one another, as we, as we pray for one another and fellowship with one another, then we're built up in the faith. I can't tell you how many times I've come to church and I've been discouraged and, and someone will come by with that word of encouragement and God uses it to lift me up. You see, we do this with them that call upon him out of a pure heart. But then number three... We, we see, number one, flee from wrong desires. Number two, follow after Christian virtues. But then number three, forsake. Got to get those three F's, right? Forsake destructive quarreling. Paul tells Timothy to shun those things which are designed for no other reason than to breed controversy and disruption. The Greek word for foolish is the word from which we get the word moron. Now, sometimes words change over time. This one has not. It's still what it means, moronic, foolish. It's used to describe persons who are short-sighted and engage in ill-advised actions. And folks, there are some people who are willing to destroy a church just to get their way, and that is a tragedy. Unlearned means uneducated or instructed. In another place, Paul says they don't even know what they're talking about, really. But they try to foist it off on other people. Now, R. Kent Hughes and Brian Chappell make some good points here. He said, they say, we struggle with these commands in one way to avoid dissensions because, number one, we know that there are things worth disputing. Number two, because it seems divisive to separate from divisive people. Seems like we're sort of responding in kind, right? But let me give you these two considerations. First, there are issues worth fighting for. There are times when you have to separate from brethren. Paul tells Timothy, for instance, in, in these two books... Fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Publicly rebuke elders who are sinning, 1 Timothy 5, 20. Guard the deposit that is committed unto you, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 14. Suffer like a soldier because you're in a battle, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. 
I say this because some of us, if we're not careful, we can go to the other extreme. There are times when not doing battle is traitorous. There is a time, my friends, to do battle for the faith. And may God give us wisdom to know when that time is. We especially fight for the fundamentals of the faith. But second, there's a difference between needing to divide and then a person who just loves to divide. He relishes it. A divisive person loves to fight. And usually you can see the differences. But a person who loves the peace and purity of the church may be forced into division. It's not something he wants to do. It's not his character. He has to enter these arguments regrettably. They're infrequent. And when he's forced to argue, when he is forced to do battle, he remains fair, truthful, and loving in his responses. He grieves to have to disagree with a brother. It's not something he relishes. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, verse 3, it's an honor for a man to cease from strife. But every fool will be meddling. We don't use that word very much. In other words, a fool always goes for a fight. He is divisive. That's what makes him tick. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Anger, division, contentiousness will destroy an individual. They'll destroy a congregation. Early in American history, during the 1700s and 1800s, men engaged in duels. They would pace off at a certain distance, and they would actually shoot at one another with pistols. Between 1798 and the Civil War, the U.S. Navy lost two-thirds as many officers to dueling as it did in combat at sea. Stephen Decatur, the great naval hero, died this way. And some of you may be aware that the man on your $10 bill, the former United States Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, was killed in a duel. And that was against the sitting vice president, Aaron Burr, in 1804. Well, he was quite a rascal. What you may not know is that Hamilton's son, Alexander Hamilton's son, Philip, also died in a duel about three years before, near the same location. In fact, sometimes they would do it right outside of Washington, D.C., in the buildings, of the buildings in, in Washington, D.C., if you can imagine that. But his son died, and understandably, Hamilton was devastated. At his funeral, the funeral of his son, he could barely stand. And one of his friends noted that they had never seen a man so completely overwhelmed with grief. And then a few years later, Aaron Burr killed Hamilton, the father, in a duel. Both father and son were so caught up in this affair of honor that it destroyed them and their family. Friends, there's a great difference between living for one's own honor and living for the glory of God. Living to honor God. We need to know that difference because sometimes we confuse the two. 
We need to live for God's honor. That includes the way that we deal with other people, the way that we approach controversy. We'll look more at this next week, but let's search our own hearts at this time. Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, it is so hard to go through this life without contamination. We need daily cleansing. And we're thankful for the blood of your Son, which keeps us in fellowship with you. So, Lord, I pray that we would pursue these virtues by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be a vessel of honor unto you. Lord, maybe there's one here and they have never experienced that initial cleansing, which is so important. Lord, that cleansing that takes place at salvation, that cleansing that is once and for all, that gives eternal security once and for all for those who accept Jesus Christ as Savior. And I pray that if that's true of any person here, that they would come today and be saved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, everyone please with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, I wonder if there's anyone here today and you would say, Pastor, I have to say, I have to be honest, I have never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I want you to pray for me. I want you to lift your hand at this time so that I can pray for you. And I promise I will not call you out and I will not embarrass you. But is there one here who would have to say, Pastor, I do not know if I died today that I would go to be with Jesus in heaven. Is there anyone like that this morning? Anyone at all? It's my prayer that if you have to say this within your heart, that you would come and talk with us after the service, and we would like to show you how to be saved. Let me urge you, don't put it off. And maybe you just need questions or information, but we would be happy to talk to you. But this is the most important decision that you have to make because your eternal destiny is at stake. And as sinners, we desperately need the cleansing that only God can provide. Think about that this morning. 